0: Good morning. Good to see everybody here. Glad you came to worship with us today. We're launching a a new series a new message series and what we typically do is we'll we'll look at something for a season, you know, whether it's a month or three weeks or six weeks. And so we're going to have this series looking this week and then five more at something called the dark side, my dark side, not my dark side alone, all of our dark side. You may have received the invitation from Bruce. And uh, a couple people commented on this, this is kind of funny. They got this email from Bruce, um, and it just said, Bruce Wood, and it, the subject was, My Dark Side. <laughs> it's like a big confession, like, oh, I can't wait to open this email, what is this going to say? And it was just an invitation to this message series, not to his dark side life. So, uh, But I'm really glad you're here. We're... Uh, we're going to take a look at a video clip to kind of begin our message, and this video clip is from a—it's a movie clip from the movie Meet the Parents. I don't know if you saw that movie, Meet the Parents, but it's basically a a guy—he's going to meet his future parents. He's going—he's poised to propose to his, you know, his future wife, and he's going to ask permission from his future father-in-law, who is played by Robert De Niro. Who can be a pretty intimidating character in any movie that he plays. And so, um turns out Robert De Niro in this he's a father in law, but he's also an ex CIA agent. And Ben Stiller, this this, you know, son in law to be, discovers all this stuff. He kind of finds his way down to the man cave of Robert De Niro, the the father in law, and see all sees all this crazy stuff, torture, like torture technique devices, all these pictures with his father-in-law with all these criminals and different world figures, and he's just like, who is this man? And he stumbles upon, he's stumbling, you know, through this basement, and then father-in-law walks, walks in. So take a look at this, this clip. Okay, for something, Greg? Oh me? Huh. Well, I heard a noise, so I came down to see if everything was okay. Everything's fine. I just... I'm sorry. I, I saw a light on in here, and I kind of stumbled in, and I didn't realize... Well, that's okay. See anything interesting? No, not at all. I mean, I mean... I mean, this is great, though. I love this what you... It's a cozy little nook. I noticed you were looking at that when I came in. Yeah. It's an antique polygraph machine. Is that what that is? Because I've seen these before, but I never saw one actually up close. You know what? Why don't you try that on? Oh. That's okay. Oh, come on. We'll have some fun. I'll show you how it works. Yeah, I I, I, I shouldn't. Well, why should you be afraid? You have nothing to hide. (laughs) No, I know. I know you know. So there shouldn't be any problem. No, there's no problem. So, try it on. Okay. I'll help you. You'll enjoy this. All right. Looks complicated. Now, these aren't 100% accurate, right? They're... Well, you'd be surprised how accurate they are. They can tell fairly easily if someone's lying or not. Now I'm going to ask you some questions, and all you have to do is answer yes or no. Okay. All right. Let's give it a whirl. Did you fly on an airplane today? Yes, I did. No peeking. Did we eat pot roast for dinner tonight? Yes. Was it undercooked? No, it was rare. It was a little rare for my taste. But I, I was kidding. I'm just. Relax, relax, the needles are jumping. Have you ever watched pornographic videos? No. That's one way to get to know your future father in law, you know? Probably not the questions he was anticipating to reveal some deep, dark secrets and things from his past. and it's a funny movie, but it gets at one of the points we're going to look at this morning, which is, how would we be affected if all of our deep, dark secrets, if our dark side was out there and exposed for others to know? What if it all came out in the open? Today we're going to begin this series looking at some of the destructive emotions, some of those things that are inside of us, in our hearts, our emotions that are destructive, also the desires that we have, that if we left them unchecked, untrained, then they would just do serious damage. They would devastate us. They would devastate others. And so, I don't know about you, but I personally would like to deal with my dark side before I want to be managing and working on things in my dark side before it ruins me. Our dark side has the potential to devastate our lives. It has the potential to devastate our families, and our future, and all of these people that we care about. And so the whole point in the series is to kind of identify five main areas that have the power to ruin us if we just ignore them. These are things that are subtle. These are things, some of them, that are very much behind the scenes that we need to really engage our minds to try to figure out, oh, is this me? Is this describing me? Some of these are very clearly dangerous. And so as we look at these together, I hope that, you know, God will bring some things to your mind, um, and that you'll come back as we look in detail at each of these things. And so, but today we're kind of overview of of where we're heading. In the Bible, there is a a book in the New Testament that is the the later part of the Bible, written to a church from a guy named Paul. Paul was a church leader; he established churches, and he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. The book is called Ephesians, and in the second chapter, Ephesians chapter two. Paul is reminding this church, so this is a church full of people who've become Christians. They've decided to turn their lives towards God and to do life God's way. Now he's writing this letter back to them to remind them of how they used to live. And Paul is reminding them that basically they have a pretty dark past. Paul's going to tell them, you know, at one time you were a spiritually dead person. You were alienated from God. And any time... A person is dead or spiritually dead, that person is unable to respond to God. They have no capacity to really connect with Him. One commentator that I read wrote about this passage we're going to look at. He said, Men apart from God are spiritual zombies. Apart from God, we're just, we're spiritual zombies. They go through the motions of life, but they don't possess it. You might feel that way. You might feel like, you know, that's a good description of me. I feel somewhat spiritually dead on the inside. I feel like I'm living, but I'm dying on the inside. All right. So maybe you'll identify with this passage we're going to look at. But this passage was intentionally originally written to a group who had already become Christians. And Paul's writing them to remind them of their past, their dark past, the dark side that they'd come out of. And also, I think in this message and in this passage, there's really a warning to not forget about those things that we've come out of. So let's take a look together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking about, he's reminding them of where they come from. He said they were dead in the trespasses. That word trespasses means to slip or to stumble, meaning, you know, I get tripped up. I slip, I stumble. I kind of make a mess of my life. He says, this is where you're coming from. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. The word sins means to miss the mark. It's like God sets a mark for our lives. He says, this is how I want you to live. This is the way I want you to live. And he he, he would like us to live in a certain direction for our lives to be aimed at a certain trajectory. And then we get one degree off or two degrees off, or we're just clearly heading even in the other direction, opposite to God. And when we do that, we find ourselves in real serious trouble. Paul's pointing out, this is where you were coming from. You were dead In your trespasses and sins, this is the way you used to walk, meaning this was your way of life. And I personally remember stumbling around in my life before I decided to surrender to Jesus. I remember making a mess of things in my life and relationships. So Paul's taking him back and he says, you were following the course of this world. The course of this world is, he's saying, the system of the world's values can be characterized by three words, humanism materialism and sex just a world dominated by sex those three things really dominate or characterize the world system the world that we have been saved from maybe the world that we've come out of everybody in this room if you've decided if whether you've decided to follow Christ or you're still you know you're in the process right now or maybe that you made a decision to follow Christ a long time ago all of us he's saying have come out of a sinful lifestyle Humanism, materialism. Humanism is pushing ourselves above God and really installing ourselves as gods. We call the shots. We're in charge. We're the boss. We don't need any other standard because we have our own standard. Materialism is placing stuff above people and just chasing after the next dollar, dreaming about what we don't have and just getting fascinated and wrapped up in pursuing possessions. Illicit sex is another thing that really, like I said, characterizes and dominates our culture. I was studying for this message, and I happened to go to a park by our church office, just to kind of get be able to focus without distractions. And I go and I sit under this picnic shelter, and I have my Bible and notebook, and I'm just jotting down notes. And there's a picnic shelter with three picnic park benches, and I'm sitting there. I'm reading this passage about what we've come out of our dark, sinful past. And up walks these six uh, friends who all worked for the same company, and they were at their lunch break. And there's employees from the same company they're all wearing their company shirts and um they were all around my age maybe a few years younger but they're eating their lunches they got their lunch pails they're eating their lunches reflecting on the the weekend what do you guys do with your weekend they said and i'm like right there just 15 feet away and this is three guys three gals and one of the guys says well i really want to go out to the strip club but i couldn't get anybody to go with me i called this guy asked him to, you know hey i'll pay your way he's like no i'm bored of that one and, and they're talking about this, and the, one, the girl jumps in, which one did you go to, or which one? And they're talking, oh, okay, yeah. Everyone was just having this talk, and I'm just like, man, this is Ephesians 2. This is what we've come out of. This is what we've come out of. And it really wasn't me thinking, oh, my gosh, listen to them talk. What this passage is saying, this is what where we've all come out of. This isn't a judging passage. This is just Paul being straight with them, saying, this is where you're this is your history. This is where we've all come from. Is we were following the course of this world. That was direct opposition to the direction God would want us to lead our lives. Passage goes on. It says, You're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I mean, the world system, when we follow the world system, we're following the leadership and the design of Satan. He's the he's really has a, a limited authority, but he has authority in this world. You know, he's able to do some things on our planet. He's able to z- design schemes that get us off track and is able to shift culture even. And just, Paul's bringing this up. He continues, he says, among whom we all once lived. We all once lived this way, he's saying, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, meaning, Children of wrath, meaning we were, we were really in trouble. We were facing because of this life, this way of life. We were facing God's judgment, His eternal judgment. We were objects of God's wrath, His condemnation. Like we're, we were in bad shape. The whole world, Paul is saying, was moving in this direction apart from God's intervention. Every person who's ever been born on planet Earth has been born into this sinful human state, and. We're the object of God's wrath. Apart from him stepping in, we stumble through life. We make a mess of things. We damage people. We damage ourselves. So this life is a rough experience. And then he says, and then in the next life, we're facing God's eternal judgment and separation. So it's it's rough and bad here, and it's without hope, without a future at the end. He's saying, this is where we've come out of, church. He was telling this church. And this really applies to any local church. Verse 4, he says, and these two words, these first two words indicate where all of the initiative was in providing a way out. He says, but God, you want to circle that if you have, but God, he's saying, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You know, God, he was motivated by his love. He reached out to us, to us, to sinful, rebellious, depraved condemned humans, and He offered another way. He offered His Son. He sent His Son to pay the penalty on the cross for our own rebellion. We're moving a different direction from God. Jesus came. He offered a new way. He offered up His life so that we could have a a new life. Imagine if there was a person who was driving down the street recklessly. Driving down the street recklessly, and he carelessly ran down and killed a child. Probably would have been arrested, tried, found guilty, and imprisoned for involuntary manslaughter. After he pays the fine, he serves a sentence, he's done his time. You know, technically he would be free, he would be guiltless before the law in regards to his crime that he committed, but paying his penalty would do nothing to restore the life of this dead child. It would also do nothing to lift the grief of these parents, would it? I mean, imagine if you're a parent with this, you know, just because he paid, the, the grief is still there. The offense against them, that family, was on a much, much deeper level. And so the only way a relationship could be restored between those parents and the man who killed their children, would, that could only be reestablished or restored, is if those parents offered forgiveness to that man no matter how much that man might you know, want to do things to reconcile the relationship, no matter how much he tried to produce reconciliation on his side, only the offended person can, can offer forgiveness. Only the offended person can bring reconciliation. And in the same way, God, though He has been greatly offended, He's been greatly offended and sinned against by all humanity, every person who's ever been born and who lives, Because of His great love, His great love and mercy, He offered forgiveness and reconciliation to us. This is what He's done. He's reached out to us. He took initiative. We were dead in our sins. We were moving in a way that was contrary to His. And it's as if God said to us, I know what you are, and I know what you've done, but because of my great love, your penalty has been paid. My judgment against you has been satisfied through the work of my Son on all of our behalf. That's what He has said to us. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God, He made us alive together with Christ by, by grace. You have been saved. It's not anything we've done. We've been brought back to life. We've been made alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved. When Jesus was risen from the dead, that's our hope. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. But above all else, a dead person needs to be made alive again. Like that was, We were without hope. If you've come to Christ, if you've already decided to follow Christ, I know many of you have already made that decision at one point. Think back. Do you remember the circumstances of your life when God saved you? Think back to the circumstance. What was going on in your life when you connected with God? I remember. I was making a mess of things. I was stumbling around making a mess of things. Do you remember what God rescued you from? Think about. What, what was I into? What was I doing? What was my life like? Right now you might be in that. You might feel like, as I said earlier, you might feel like, yeah, I'm kind of right there right now. I'm not, I'm spiritually dead. I don't feel like I have a connection with God. But sometimes what we do is we lose sight, especially if you've decided to follow Christ. It's very easy to just lose sight of where we come from. It's very easy to just lose sight of our past and there's a real danger in losing sight. The people who wrote books about how to walk with God, the spiritual giants in previous centuries, they were well aware of their dark, dark past, their depravity. Billy Graham, he, he's still alive. He's actually 93. I'm reading his autobiography. But in it, I'm just so impressed about his attitude towards his own sinful, broken condition. He just is so aware of the fact that he is hes still broken. He's still depraved. He still has this nature that leads him towards the wrong thing. So he does not trust himself. He protects his his own integrity. He protects his reputation, his purity, while he was on the road. He just had people traveling with him. But we hear so much about our potential for the good. We hear all about, you know, you can discover your dreams, your purpose. You can leverage your strengths. And we hear all this positive self-talk that is pumped at us through this culture, through the media, through this way of doing life. It's all positive. But we need to realize that all of our potential is not positive. Some of our potential is very, very destructive. We have the potential to destroy our marriages. We have the potential to to harm our children, to destroy our families, to abandon our families. We have the potential to divide a church. We have the potential to destroy friendship groups. We have the potential to ruin our work environment. All of us have the potential to to just disgrace the name of Jesus. God has this long history of reminding his people, Hey, don't forget your past. Don't forget what I brought you out of, where I rescued you from. We need reminders often of our brokenness and our dependency. We need constant reminders that we're broken. We're we're dependent on him to make progress in this life. It's not just I dream big and then I, I accomplish things. We need God every step of the way. We need to stay close to Him. There's this interesting pattern that develops in the book of Deuteronomy. It's an old testament book. God has He's laid out the law for His people. And five different times he calls his people to remember that they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Actually, six different times, but five times he says essentially the same thing. And he he tells them, remember you were slaves in Egypt. And then he gives them a new command to follow. He tells them, here's what you're going to do, but don't forget about where I took you from. Just take a look. The starting point for them was to recall where they'd been. Look at chapter 5, verse 15. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So he's reminding them, hey, I, I formed you as a nation. I rescued you. You had no hope without me. Your whole formation as a nation was dependent on, on me, he was saying. God is saying, it was all my work. And he's saying, now I want you to take a day of rest. He gives them this new command. And in the midst of the new command, he reminds them for some reason to remember where they'd been. Look ahead. Later, he says in chapter 15, verse 15, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt once again. But then he says, now, when you release a slave, supply for him liberally, meaning you were once slaves. People in those days could sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. And so he's saying, when you have a slave and they're released, or the year comes up when they can just be released, he's saying, take care of them, supply for them. Remember, you were once a slave in the land of Egypt. I took care of you. Take care of those people now. He's giving them a new command. But don't forget where you were. He goes on. He says this again. Chapter 16, verse 12. You can see it up there. He tells them, Give a free will offering. Be generous. I've been so generous. I rescued you. You were slaves in Egypt, he reminds them. Look again, twenty chapter 24. He says, Take care of the less fortunate. In two places in chapter 24, he says, you know, Don't forget about, make sure that you treat fairly those who are who are really downtrodden. People that are, Forgotten in our society, he's saying, "Don't forget about those people." Because remember, I didn't forget about you. You were slaves in Egypt. He keeps saying this over and over. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget you need me. In chapter nine, the last verse in that section, chapter nine, verse seven, he says this: "Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to the wrath in the wilderness, to wrath in wilderness." He says. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. And I'm struck by the phrase, remember, and do not forget, he says. Don't forget your roots. Don't forget your past, the brokenness. This is for us. Never forget what you're capable of. Never forget how far we will stray. Never forget how easily you can rebel. Don't forget about your potential for evil. We have tremendous potential for good through the power of God. But we also have this broken, fleshly nature that is at war with the Spirit of God who lives in those of us who decided to follow Him. We talk a lot about life transformation, about change, but just don't lose sight of your depravity. Don't lose sight of the darkness in your heart. I really feel like part of what keeps me spiritually healthy is just not losing touch with my depravity. If I want to stay healthy, I need to stay in touch with my depravity, my brokenness. I must hold in balance two things throughout the course of my life. I must hold in balance the blessings of God and my brokenness. I have to keep those both in mind. God is so good. His don't just read the scriptures and look for what has God done for me lately. And what's he going to do for me now? Allow him to remind you of what he's taken you out of. What he's rescued you from. Hold those things in balance. All of us we can be drawn so easily into those old ways. Look at these five things that we're going to highlight through the course of this series, we have some dangerous potential. These five areas we're going to look at. First, guilt. Guilt is the result of having done something wrong that we, we knew was wrong. We've done something that we perceived was wrong. Every time we do wrong, we initially think, I'm gaining something. I'm getting something. But then guilt kicks in and we realize, I owe something. A debt is now owed to a person or to God. And no amount of good deeds, no amount of community service, church attendance, giving, is ever going to relieve that guilt. The guilt must be paid or canceled if you're ever going to find freedom from guilt. But this guilt is something that's in our dark side. It's connected to our dark side. We've got. If, we, if you're someone who deals a great deal with guilt, shame, then this is one of the things we're going to talk about over the next five weeks. We're going to look next week at the area of guilt. But if you're plagued by guilt, this is something connected to our dark side that must be unearthed, brought to the surface in our life in order for us to be found to find freedom. The second area we're going to look at is anger. We have some dangerous potential in the area of anger. Again, we're going to look at anger in two weeks. But anger is basically the result of not getting what I want. I don't get what I want. Someone blocks my goals. I have a goal. Someone gets in the way. The only logical response when someone gets in my way is to kill him. Sometimes it's verbal, but a lot of times it's verbal. But when someone blocks our goals, man, we, we're just out to get him. The claws come out. You know, and we're, we're just... We'll do things, we'll say things, we'll hurt people, we'll go on the attack, we get reactive. Some people get so angry that they've already decided that others are wrong, Period. They've already decided my way is right. There's no one else that has a right way. No one crosses my path. Anger, if it's not processed properly, it's like a sickness. Slowly kills us from the inside. Bitterness creeps in, slowly kills us. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, people pay a real price in this area. Quite often, it can just alienate us from the people we love. Greed. Greed is believing that I deserve. I deserve every good thing that could possibly come my way. It's difficult. We live in a, in a very greedy society, and so it's very difficult to escape greed. But it's in our hearts to want more than we really do. We believe we deserve it. This is tough to spot because it, in our society, it's disguised in the words savings plan, savings account, retirement, planner. I'm a planner. Well, some people are just greedy. Some people, planning and saving is greed. Now, not everybody. You might be a planner, you might be a saver, you might be a very generous person. But generosity is the way to find freedom from from greed. But greed is just, it it separates relationships. Because people are always trying to compete with the greedy person's possessions. They never measure up. They never connect because the, the stuff, the money, is always competing with people. It does real damage jealousy jealousy is another thing in our dark and kind of on our dark side the jealous person immediately thinks of the things that others have that that I lack the looks their skills their their opportunities you tend to think that the heart problem here is aimed at the person that you are jealous of but really the jealous issue is towards God God why did you give them that and give me this why did you make them like that and make me like this God why did you give them those opportunities and they it's, it's usually directed at God. And so jealousy, this part of our dark side, does again, does damage. It breaks our communion, our fellowship with God. And if a jealous heart remains unchecked, then no relationship is safe. Every relationship is threatened if jealousy is not put to death. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, real parallel passage to what we just looked at. One of the verses he says, You must put to death the earthly nature. He says, that you have to put to death. And these, again, he's talking to Christians. He says, there's still these things that creep in, you have to put them to death. Jealousy is one of those things. We'll look at that in, I think, four weeks. And then the final one is lust. Lust is slightly different than the rest of our dark side. Lust is, you know, God created within us lust in that we have strong desire. Lust is strong desire, right? I'm, I really... Lusting this cheeseburger, I really want to eat this cheeseburger right now. I really want to buy that car right now. I really want to be with that person right now. Lust is it's strong desire. Now before the before Adam and Eve sinned, before the first man and first woman sinned and rebelled, you know, Adam had this lust, a strong desire towards Eve that was appropriate. He saw her and he wanted her strongly. He's and it was appropriate, it was in bounds. But after sin entered the world, lust, that strong desire got twisted. And now we deal with lust in a very twisted way. It pushes us to go after things that are inappropriate, that are out of bounds for us. We go past the boundaries that God has established. It's appropriate to have a strong desire for your spouse if you're married. It's inappropriate to not or to have a strong desire, you know, outside of marriage. So we're going to look at that issue because unbridled and unrestrained lust will just devastate men, women, children. I once asked my mentor, is this area of lust ever going to get easier as I get older? This is going to go away. Am I going to grow out of this? And he said, well, my dad who's 90 says he's still trying to put the thing to death. I said, Great. It's something that must be dealt with. It must be managed because there's a part of strong desire that's appropriate. So you have to learn how to manage when it goes the wrong direction. Some of these things that we've mentioned here, you probably would say, you know what? I'm familiar with that stuff. I brought someone with me who's really dealing with all that. But there's a lot of people in this room that I know should be here listening to this message. I'm so glad they're here. Like, is he here? Is she here? Oh, good. We usually see these things about the dark side and we start picking out other people's flaws. What I really hope we'll do with this message series is we'll just stay in front of our own mirror, looking in an introspective way, asking God to reveal things in each of us, that we would avoid pointing fingers of judgment at others. Because Paul's saying, look, you were all dead in your trespasses and sins. God rescued all of us out of this. So as we look at this area of our dark side, I want to encourage you to think personally. Here's some great news, though, as we wrap things up this morning. Here's some great news for all of us. God can still use me in spite of what lurks in my heart. He can still use you. He can still use me in spite of what is in our dark side. A man named Isaiah, God called him into service, into ministry for him. He was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. And when he appeared before God, or when God appeared before him, he sees God in all his majesty and all his splendor, and he becomes so immediately aware of his own depravity that he says this, Woe to me, he says, for I am lost. He's before God, and he sees, here's God and here's me. He says, woe to me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He thinks, I am dead meat. I'm broken. How can I stand before? He says, I'm unclean. I'm in trouble, he's thinking. But here's the good news. Then he says, one of the seraphim, those were angels, flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth, Isaiah said. And and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God does not send Isaiah away or rebuke him and leave him to his misery. Instead, he sends an angel to purify him, to cleanse him, to give him forgiveness. And then he commissions Isaiah to the task. He commissions him to be a servant. See, the truth is God is not surprised by my depravity, by your depravity. He can still use us. The first step, like Isaiah, is to just admit Woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm broken. The first step is to stop trying to hide our dark side, but to allow God to bring it out into the light so we can begin to make progress, really, and what we really need to work on. And then God can begin to clear up confusion. He can help us set direction. But losing sight of your depravity is costly. I want to invite the band to come up. We're going to conclude our service. You might be able to identify with this message in a few different ways. One is, you might feel like, you know what? I, I just feel like I've not connect, I'm not connected with God. I'm here because I'm searching. I'm here because I'm, I'm in the process. And I'm really, I'm open to connecting with Him. I sense He's speaking to me. He's trying to get my attention. What do I need to do? I would encourage you to check this box on the back of the connection card. It says, send me info about beginning a relationship with Jesus for the first time. That basically would mean... Hey, I'm just, I am just—I want to learn more. Send me some information. There's no pressure there. Nobody's going to be knocking on your door, pounding the door, trying to get you to, to do anything. We really want you to understand what it means to connect with God. Go at your own pace. Understand it is a critical issue. When we say go at your own pace, we're really concerned that you do business with God. When He's getting your attention, that you would respond to Him. Some people, they realize, man, I need to connect with God today. And if that's you, don't let anything prevent you from relating to your Heavenly Father. We connect with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, when we say, God, I've gone my own way all my life. I'm ready to turn around. I want to turn towards You. I surrender my life to You. I accept Your death on the cross in place of my death. You paid the penalty for my sins by dying on the cross. You didn't die and stay dead. You rose from the dead. And your resurrection gives me hope for new life. I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. I surrender my life to you. That's what it means, making that sort of declaration. Anybody um, that's interested in that, you feel free to come talk to a staff member. Check on this box so we can give you some more information. But if you're here, you've already decided to follow Christ, I want to encourage you to take this opportunity in this series to seriously allow God to, to shine this light into the darkness that resides in us still. The more you ponder your own brokenness and God's grace for you, the more it increases your love for other people. Stop judging other people and realize we're all very, very broken. So here's three next steps you might want to check on the back left. Invite a guest to attend this series with me. We encourage you to start praying. Bring someone with you next week or through this series. Reflect on my dark side and thank God for rescuing me. Just take the time to really do that. Or prepare for the series with a day of fasting and prayer. If you check that, we'll give you a guide on what that means to fast and pray. It Basically, is to get focused spiritually, allowing God to do some things in your life to really get your attention in a certain areas. So I'll be doing that this week, taking a day of fasting and prayer. I hope you'll join in with that. If you check that, we'll email you a guide on how to do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful. We're we're broken people. We need your help, God. We desperately need your help. And we thank you, God, that you can still use us. Lord, it's such good news to hear that you said to Isaiah, you know, you offered forgiveness. You sent an angel to bring forgiveness. For us, God, you sent your son to die, to offer to us who are broken, guilty, sinful, condemned people, a new life. Help us to trust you. For those of us who already do walk with you, help us to allow you to speak to us through the course of this series help us to apply the things you teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.